This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello, this is Talking Flutes and I'm Claire Southworth. I'm very happy to chat today with Kate Hill. Hello there, Kate. Hi, it's nice to see you again. Yeah, and you. Now, I feel like I've followed in your footsteps, having also been a student and then professor at the Royal Northern College of Music and then professor at the Royal Academy of Music. And you've had a fabulous career. You've given concerts and classes around the world. Uh, playing in orchestras, concerto performances, chamber music, so much more. And we've known each other, I hate to say, for more than 40 years. Add 10. Add 10? No. Goodness me. Nearly 50 years. I was, I was just almost out of nappies. I must have been a very young starter, Kate. <laughs> so... We must have met at um, the International Summer School. In Canterbury. Yeah, in Canterbury. Um, so by then, you, when I first went, so I was probably 14, and you were just starting at the, was it the Royal College of Music in Manchester? Or was it the was Royal the Manchester? Manchester? Yeah, Royal College of, yeah, in Manchester. And then it moved about in my second year, I think it was. To the Royal Northern. Yeah, to the going to Royal Northern. So tell us about tell us about the start of your flute journey. Well, well, when I started pl- playing in the very first place. Yeah, from where I mean, you did you picked it up at school? Did you or? I learned it because we had a South African scientist living with us when I was a child, and he played the flute, and so we used to play recorder duets when I was about nine and ten, and then I longed to learn the piano, and I started that when I was about. 10 I think at a school I had to change schools and then it was suggested I did another instrument and because Peter Cooper played the flute um, I absolutely held on that that was what I wanted to do so when I eventually went to off to school and had some lessons I think I borrowed his wooden Radcliffe version with a slightly different fingering if I remember correctly it's such a long time ago now and I used that to get going um, and I had lessons with someone who was at St. Hughes in Oxford. And then many, many years later, when I was a student uh, up in Manchester, I went off to do a date um, in the north of St. John's Passion. And below me, there was a, my first flute teacher sitting in the flute chair. So that was a, an extraordinary coincidence when we suddenly worked out that we'd met before. Um, wow. that was, that's why I learned the flute, as always, most people have got a fairly sort of, you know, it's because it was in the cupboard or their uncle played it or it was the only instrument left over or that kind of thing so but it's kept me going very well and and in fact Peter's um, children they all moved to America and and one of them played the flute and did a lot on selling music and flutes I think out in America we were in contact but it's such a long time ago now so so did you always think that after that point that you only wanted to play the flute no I didn't think that I thought I thought I might want to do science at university so I, when I did my A-levels, I was doing biology and um, some backup chemistry, but I changed schools. So the system was very different from where I'd been up to O-levels. 
and it, fairly, it became very clear. And then, of course, musicians are really lucky in a way if they if they audition in the December, November, December before the Christmas holidays. Um, and if you get a place, you know, you're laughing as long as you pass your A-levels to get the grant and everything that I was lucky enough to have in those days. So it's and that still goes now, really. I mean, people audition for the conservatoires, you know, before Christmas. And if they get offered a place, well, I suspect they still have to get their A-levels. But it was a very unusual. You didn't have to wait till the dreaded August to get all the exam results and then think, phew, I can do this or a mad panic to find someone else where you could go and study. So I was fairly just fairly lazy fair about it, I suppose, in a way. I mean, I just loved playing and that was it. And luckily to the people I was having lessons with, like Janet Way, who was my teacher when I was at school in the later years, you just, I was so naive. <laughs> it was amazing. You, compared with how people are now, it's unbelievable. But I, so I've just been very lucky, I would say. Me too. I mean, we sound sort of exactly the same. You know, yeah. it was. Uh, it, it's funny because I was also doing biology in an A-level with the thoughts of I was going to do medicine. And then I'd also changed schools and everything changed and, you know, similar sort of thing and my whole life changed and suddenly flute became more important. So you, flute became then important for you and then you auditioned and got into the Royal Manchester College. Um, and did you have three or four years when you were there? Well, it was a three-year course. Mm. And, um, and then I did stay on for, well, actually, I did ex two extra years, but my last year was pretty pretty chaotic, really, due to where I was living and everything. But um, at the time, it was a, definitely a three-year course. And um, I studied with Trevor Y there. And I always remember him showing me a list of repertoire. And it was all marked a b c d or something like that. But when, it got, when, he, when he got to the Mozart and Bach, he said, oh, that's in the fourth year. And of course, it wasn't a four-year course. It, so it meant save these up till you really know what you're doing. And I've never forgotten that because sometimes it's such a shame when people are not so well equipped with the technical facility to do those wonderful pieces. They learn them in a way and then it's, of course they have to know them when they're going through the colleges and things to perform because it's such a huge part of our repertoire, but they've got so much undoing to do because they've raced ahead with all those pieces. So, so I'm always glad that play. I set them up. So you didn't play any Bach or Mozart then in your first year or so? Well, I probably did, but the point was it wasn't, you know, no, I didn't, probably didn't. I'd heard it a lot in summer schools and things like that. I really can't remember that far back, but I just remember saving them. And there were several of them that I never did when I was at college, but, you know, you, you absorb, absorb Bach and Mozart on the multiple summer school days and classes of sitting through, which I did loads of, either working at all just being a student or a helper, as you know. Yes, I did exactly the same. And they were they were sort of uh, wonderful days because there, there weren't really many flute courses around. I think we we had the International Summer School in Kent. There was also the Marcel Moyes course, which we both went to uh, in Bosville in Switzerland. Um, but the, the, the Kent course was um, a great learning experience, wasn't it? We both started as helpers and then became teachers and met lovely people like Geoffrey Gilbert um, and Peter Lucas Graf, William Bennett. All those people. James Moy, of course, came, yep. I can remember James Galway playing to Marcel Moyes when I was still at school because, I might, because Janet Way took me down from 
um, a day down in Hambledon where Moyes used to come over, which was in the very, very early days there. I remember him playing and Eddie Beckett playing to him, I think. And Wibb and Trevor then listened to me decide whether I would be allowed to play to Moyes or not. <laughs> I played the number nine from the um, Taffan and Gober. Study to him. Yep. But, you know, they were... They were happy days, great days, just surrounded by amazing players. You realise, you didn't realise that at the time, but later on you think, well, all these people who were principal flutes in all the orchestras and things around there, we were so lucky. And so, do you remember which particular players sort of inspired you at that time? Well, I was just amazed by all of them, I suppose. Wibb and Roger Bernstein, of course, they they played um, the Villa Lobos duet. It was wonderful. I mean, we were just surrounded by wonderful players the whole time. And, and ha all mixing in, having such a fun time. Yeah, but, but also for a very sort of short period of time, because of course we didn't have the benefit then of social media and all the recordings. And so the highlight really of the year was those three weeks when we were on the course. Absolutely, and then you get home, you're absolutely exhausted, but then you were just so keen to get absolutely steaming on your practice. You were so inspired by that. You realised how much there was that you could do and. You're on a cloud, really, a wonderful cloud. I'm just saying how lovely it was to be so full of just longing to practice every day. And I remember going off after my first year at college to the Isle of Skye with my godmother and insisting on learning the Jeanne Carmel of Venice um, there and practicing. And she kept on saying, come on, you must come for a walk. I'm going, no, 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 I'll catch you up, I'll catch you up. Because I just couldn't wait to, for everybody to get up and be up in the morning and you could start playing again strong feeling of and, and development of where you were going and knowing what you wanted to do having had such fantastic um, yeah there were there were special times and also we were distracted by computers and mobile phones so i think our our focus was much more intense probably and then when we used to go to marcel moyes that was when tape recorders first came around do you remember that when every half an hour yeah. this awful clatter because there would be Probably like a whole trip. There used to be a plane load of Japanese um, students would come. I mean, about 120 of them. It was amazing. And then clatter, clatter. And Moyes would hate it. As, as that for about five minutes, all these tapes were changing because they were only 30 minutes long. Yeah. And eventually they got to like an hour. And of course, well, now that what we've all got, it's amazing. But it was a very real sort of irritation every 25 to 35 minutes there, that going on there. So that was the most advanced technology that was around then. And um, yeah, you had no no phone cot phone contact or anything like that. It was amazing, really. I suppose you're more of a free spirit in a way, but just getting on and enjoying being with who you were. And um, you tell your parents when you're going to get home, and they'd assume it was all going to be fine. <laughs> I suppose. That's I seem to remember that I had to come and pick you up by car at the airport. Oh, in Zurich, yes. In Zurich. And before I picked you up, I was with some another flute player on the on the course, and we'd been doing some busking and made a huge amount of money, which I couldn't believe. We came and picked you up, and then we got terribly lost. We couldn't find our way back to, to Bosville. Do you remember? Well, I can remember you picking me up, and I can remember the girl, she had a sort of dark, very dark hair with a fringe, and it's quite long, and I can't remember what she's called it, but you have made a fortune. Yeah. And um, after the Moyes course, I was going to travel to... I can't remember. I was going to go back with another girlfriend called Jane, and and she and I thought we'd back, we'd busk at Lucerne Bridge, and we got about two Swiss francs. And then this guy came along with this huge dog, and he was a police officer, and said, "We don't do this kind of thing here." So we sort of curled up with our Telemann, um 
you know, canonic uh, duet. And, That's exactly and what we between our legs and went away, went away, and, and then he waved at us further down the road when he knew that we, you know, stuck to the rules. But that was my only attempt at busking. But I know you two did really well. I'm slightly irritated. I can't remember her name Obviously now. Obviously, very, 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 very lucky. Now, yeah. I suppose um, we can't. Uh, people, the flute players, can't really look forward to. I don't think look forward to flute courses this year. We just have to see how the how the pandemic goes. The general world situation is sort of pretty bleak at the moment and I know that a lot of people a lot of players are feeling very lost and isolated because of the pandemic have you got some advice you can give to them well when it all started I was sort of in a way I mean of course the whole thing is absolutely catastrophic and and I think it's getting harder as it goes along at the beginning I was thinking oh this is a wonderful time to really you know face up and sort out the technical things that you've got and really have more time but of course while well, I'm teaching at the academy and they've still got their full academic load so actually the students are very busy but I think this thing of not performing in a real space is really quite hard and actually tonight I've, I've got a class a zoom class and it's just I've just called it playing hour and I'm, I hope I don't know maybe nobody will come onto the zoom but just an opportunity for people to play anything whether they want to play a piece or study a improvisation some scales, whatever they want to do, it's sort of without having feedback. It's just like for the pleasure of playing to each other. But it'd be quite interesting to see if that works. But um, it's it's really tough, and I think a lot some people are doing really well, and others are wobbling now more or finding it much harder to keep going because it's you just the, the goalpost keeps going further away, doesn't it? But and now you think it's going to be better, and now we've got this trouble over the South African virus if the Oxford. Um, vaccine isn't going to be so strong but you know it's still amazing that a lot of people are going to be much better protected you absolutely have to hope there it must so be- as for advice of what to do i mean it's it's in the perfect world you know you could listen to amazing players every day and you could learn all the scores and you could get incredibly fit and everything there but it's actually it's keeping you keeping yourself sane inside and not pushing yourself too, too hard probably Yes, you've been too hard on yourself. It's very isolating, isn't it? Sort of thing for hours, and then in maybe for, for a lot of people, just in one space, you know, that you sleep in the same room that you work in. Absolutely. No, I mean, where I live, I'm very lucky with a nice house, nice garden, beautiful country outside the front door. Um, so all that kind of stuff. It's just very easy to take for granted. But I'm incredibly aware of people living in very small spaces. And, and and also in incredible financial worries because not earning is absolutely terrifying. In terms of our listeners who are aspiring flutists and who want to audition, how how have auditions changed because of the pandemic? Well, last term, this is a, I speak for the Royal Academy in London. They um, everything was online, so the students had to send in. I think it was like a ten or fifteen minute program of their playing. And then they had to send in a video of them talking a, a bit about just a bit about themselves, why they wanted to go to the academy and what they've done and that kind of thing. So it was a nice way of getting a feel for their personality and their communication. And I thought it worked, worked well, really. It was amazing. I mean, some people were concerned that different qualities of, of when they actually record themselves. But, you know, if someone's musical, you can hear it through that anyway, whether it's a slightly really upmarket recording or, or one that's not quite so good. And that's all getting better and better. And also the youngsters are all getting better and better at knowing how all the tricks of the trade to get it better anyway, the facilities that people have got now. 
So I think it worked as fairly as anybody can. It's not the same as having people in the room, but you, you're, what I think would have been good is, is you're actually listening to people. They haven't had to spend hours traveling. They've probably done their recording when they're more relaxed at a time when they've had notice of what time they're going to be recording. And, and, it, and then it's, it's done and they've, and they've sent it off there. But I think often when people have to come into London from a, a long way away, it must be exhausting. They don't know. They don't know London necessarily. They might have been on an airplane, or they come from a train from a long way away, and the train's late, and they don't know how to work the tube systems and all that kind of thing. There's so many other factors. So, I wouldn't be at all surprised if there wasn't an element of that some something staying online, or at least a round one or something like that, to make it save a lot of people spending a lot of time and travelling when. What's so when they don't know that they're going to get in? I mean, what's very sad sometimes on auditions is there are people who clearly have no idea of the standard, and also it's really hard for people to take in about what their own standard is. So I'd never say to someone, "You won't get in," because you meet someone one week and a twelve months late, twelve weeks later, or something, they could have made the most phenomenal improvement. You might have heard them on a bad day in in a summer school and then you hear them on an amazing day in December or vice versa. And it's all about what they do on the day. So I suppose, again, if you do a recording, you've got a chance of saying, actually that recording just didn't go well, please can I do it again? But you can't do that when you walk into a live audition. It's like now. It's really interesting because yeah. you and I, of course, have sat next to each other doing the auditions for, for years and years and years. And, yeah. and students get, some students get really, really nervous and you know they're not quite showing us exactly what they're capable of doing. So to be able to record when you're relaxed at your own pace would, in theory, I think, enable the standards to go up a little bit more. Probably, as if you need them to go up anymore. I mean, the standard is absolutely phenomenal. Isn't and when it? I, <laughs> when I think about all the things that all the pieces I have never actually got round or they didn't even exist in our repertoire because you know the world is a much bigger oh it's a much smaller place now and you think when we, I was studying us you know the uncurtain was up and everything so you didn't have contact with all these other countries behind the eastern bloc countries and music from America I mean for goodness sake how are you going to get that from America to England it has to come on a ship you know or an airplane eventually but it's all changed so much now you can when the fax machine came and you could just send stuff through and of course now email and all the rest of it is just amazing. But also, I mean, I played my school Gemeinhardt closed hole flute through all through my th four years at college and no one would do that now. So my 108 pound Gemeinhardt closed hole flute got me through those years. It's amazing. And I've, it's, I've given it to a, some, it's, it's gone to some um, school children now, I think, down in Devon or something. There's a special unit there because it's pointless just sitting in the house doing nothing. So that would never happen now. So now the facility of the, and the tuning of the of flutes nowadays, of course, are after Albert Cooper and Wibb and Trevor and all these people spent, uh, you know, years getting a new flute scale going has made a huge difference. But that guy was, I mean, you learned what intonation was by playing an instrument like that. And you just a lot did it. to be said for it, isn't there? A lot to be said for playing a flute not so much in tune in order to Absolutely. train your ears. Yeah, you really had to do it. And now you can look at a flute and say, oh, well, the ears are a bit flat. You know, that's that's the thought of the flute. And it's like, no, it isn't. It's just got to, you've got to play it. Then when you, we come to listening to auditions, whether it's recorded or, or live, 
that that one of the big things we look for is is good intonation because there's sort of no excuse for bad intonation now. No, absolutely. Intonation intonation really gets the panel quite quite heated very quickly. Yes. I remember well. Especially when they're very sharp. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if we had to sort of say, what three things would you be listening for in an audition? What would they be if you could, if you could narrow that down? Oh, gosh. Um, well, the first thing, which is very important to remember, is that if you offer a place to someone, you've got to have the feeling that they'll be able to survive the course. And that over the years, there's been lots of people coming in and playing it so musically but their just technical ability is nowhere near safe enough to, to, to know that they could come in and they'd be going through repertoire classes and stuff and it would just be horrible for them. And that's really sad when you think, with, there are lots of summer schools around there, lots of summer schools with bursaries. And it'd be nice to talk about that a bit more, <clears throat> a bit later, but um, it's such a shame when people just, you know, you feel the natural musicality in them, it's absolutely wonderful but you just know that they would just be swamped there. So that's one element that is, uh, there has to be a minimum technical ability to get around. The quality sound is very important. I mean, someone making a nice sound, it, it, the sound will flow and you probably, end, then of course you'll get nice phrasing, which of course is what we're all looking for. Imagination of, of how, you know, holding a line, I think that's really important. And also then people that, play to the panel or play to the the wall behind the panel so there's a feeling of communication i mean there are i always often put notes down like head in stand it's like a whole thing that's played with the music stand right up in front of their eyes and and you can hardly see their face and you're thinking this is called communicating with music really <laughs> i don't think so so i think that's a very important one and and people who also come in the room who look pleased to be there because over the years, we well, you know, we've seen some funny examples of people coming in and we've had to almost apologise for, for, you know, them having to come in the room. And it's like, no, 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 we want, we always want to hear the best. And, and our job is harder when there are so many really great players, but that's our problem, not the problem of the audition person. So I think that would be the things. Yeah, Musicality, sight reading, willing to have a go. That's right. We've often asked people to improvise or do some little thing and they'll go, oh, well, I've never done it before. It's okay, don't worry. It's fine. Just, 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 just have a go. Yes, but I've never done it before. So, you know, I'm not sure what to do. Well, just, just let go and just give it a go. And that's very telling because you need to know that someone's prepared to have a go at things. Otherwise, how are you going to teach someone if they'll never try anything out? Yeah, they don't not get in because they can't, haven't done something before. Um, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, you're, yeah. just, you're just finding out what they know, what they can do, what they're willing to have a go at there. It, it's not a it's not a he, 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 you can't do that, so we don't want you kind of attitude at all. I seem to remember that um, in, in many years where we used to be together that we had this desire to sort of give a class to all the people who hadn't got in just to give them some clues which are on just what you were saying like when you walk in the room that's when your audition starts and to say hello and to say what you've got to play and to try and engage with the panel rather than just stick your head in the music stand yeah absolutely that's really good no it shows a lot it shows a lot as soon as you walk in the door now in terms of um 
are the restrictions we've got these days? I know you've been teaching throughout the term. So on Zoom, presumably, and how's that going? Well, I've been teaching on, uh, well, the Academy does, uses something called Microsoft Teams, and, uh, but I've used Zoom in, on, on other, for other lessons. Well, I, I, I think I'm a terrible person because I think um, I actually quite enjoy it. I actually enjoy it. I think it's working quite well. Um, I was tearing my, my hair out at the beginning because I wasn't up with all the technology and, and every time you got one bit sorted out, there was another thing that you had to find out. And I remember in October when some system changed and I just rang up the academy to say for help and I just burst into tears. I was like, it was just all I was trying to do was get on and do my job. But anyway, I think I've cut through a bit more there now. A lot to pay. I was so lucky that we went, I went where I live out in the country. We went into faster broadband at the end of June. So I started teaching online. I suppose it must have been late March. And I just kept going. Um, for any students who wanted, you know, the lessons there, finished that the summer term and then called a halt. Some of them went on right into August because one had her final recital much later. Um, and that's what, so I've been on online now, I suppose it must be 10 months or actually it's probably nearer 11 and a half now. It's getting close. And what about exams? Are you doing the exams on online as well? Um, last year's, the final exams were on, on they had to set, uh, they were either in, at the academy, I mean, I wasn't involved in that, or they would send a, a recording in, depending where they were in the world. The end of year exams last year were, done by a sort of assessment there. I'd, I'd write, a, I had to write for my particular students <clears throat> what sort of, what, what mark area I thought. So it was sort of, they did it by an amalgamation. I think personally, I thought it was a shame that they didn't actually have to send a recording in and doing it online. This year that everybody's constantly praying that it'll all be in real. But there are students all over the world now. So, I mean, I've got, I've got one of my students in South Korea and another one in Colorado and, um, you know, etc. And then when you like tonight, if there's the, the, the actual flute class, I mean, they're in Romania and Russia, they're all over the place. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, it'll be amazing that we can pull them all together on, a, on, on one Zoom thing. It is amazing. So, and I feel like those all together classes, it's nice for each other to see each other and they can chat. I've often, at the beginning of this year, I had Zooms and I just say, right, hi everybody, you know, nice to see you and any questions and then leave them all just to chat and then I come back and turn my Zoom off. You know, later when they when there was no one else left, I could hear them chattering away and things. So from that point of view, but um, that worked worked well. But so end of year exams, I mean, they're planning them all to be in sort of early May. But poor, I mean, I feel so sorry for the management of all these establishments. I mean, they're, they're ruled by the government, and then you get another letter that has come from the Ministry of this or this to all the universities. And at the moment, they're sort of early May as the final final recitals. And I think, and then the and in May the end of year recitals but you know all the time this could be shunted may june july um the academy's changed its um its terms too now i don't ask me quite which way but the september terms starting a week later in this year now because i think they're adding in i think they're going to try and make more, do more projects and stuff to make up for the huge empty hole that has been there because it's yeah. it's a shame you can't all play duets together and I tried that with one student I was constantly late the whole time <laughs> I was trying to play the alto studies you know with the lovely duke because I've got my lovely thick book at home which, which cost something like 120 shillings in 1970 or 1971 or something and of course now it's like well, well I don't know where it's got to you know it was about 64 65 pounds a few years ago but it's so lovely when you can play the second line but this poor student in Oxford was going no you're late I was like okay fine because <laughs> you can see that on your picture 
Yeah. When you move your fingers and you're thinking, no, I've done that. My, why are my fingers <laughs> going up on the picture? So that's quite funny sometimes. And sometimes the other week a, a student was still playing, but her flute was down. It's like, hang on. <laughs> you realise that the sound's having to catch up. But I think everybody's coping well. But the, I've got a microphone on, on my computer. I've also got speakers now. And I think that's really helped. And having the faster broadband this year, this end. And I've used something called Source Connect with one student in Oxford. And that's amazing. She and I have, and I have to wear the headphone things. The, there's these things here. And um, the, her sound is amazing. And I, she never cuts out. It's incredible. But I, but it's so, you're so dependent on your other end of people who are, who are playing to you having fast broadband. I think that's probably why it just isn't working so well because the sound was amazing. Hopefully that will that will improve as the years go on. But it's interesting to think that at the moment, of course, we're in we're mid winter here in the UK, and it's snowing for both of us. So I'm thinking in the future, should you get snowbound on a teaching day, you just go online and still do all your work. I would think so. And also, if students are ill. It's quite always quite different, you know, because particularly as I've lived 50 miles out of London, going into London and, and then someone rings up and says, I'm not, you know, I can't come, I've just been sick or something. That's always hard. It's a grey area about making up their lesson. But actually, if you say, well, let's do it, you know, four days time and I'll do it from home. I think that will be a real asset myself to, yeah, to do I that do so too. that you keep, keep the system going. It's, it's opened up a whole new world, really. There are so many times when, you know, you, the train is delayed or whether there are weather delays or students have been delayed, and you can just, just get online. And I also find it, you're so one-to-one, -one, like you and I are talking now, I mean, it's ridiculous, because there you are, I don't know, 90, 100 miles away from me, but your whole concentration is on the screen. Mm. Although I know it's, I keep looking out, because it's good to change your eye length and everything, to stay if you're getting so tired. So I find the concentration, for me, is works well, because when you're actually in, a, in an institution, you've got, well, students coming in, uh, in and out at the end of the lessons and you say, bye, or see you next week, or, oh, I forgot to say this, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you're not dealing with text messages saying the tubes are late <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So actually, I feel like, and you can be much more relaxed because I don't have to worry about getting there in the sense of transport, not connecting up. And, and, I, and I, in February last year, I started walking from Paddington to the Academy, which is about 22 minutes fast. And I have to laugh that, you know, if the, if the um, traffic lights change and I get to Marylebone Road, it's like really irritating because I, you know, they last for about two minutes. It's going to, oh my God, I'm going to be late. Go faster, faster, faster. You know, that kind of thing. Some people I know absolutely hated it. And now they're going, they got used to it. So in terms of, of plans with regards to teaching, you can just keep teaching. And when restrictions are lifted, you'll get back into the academy. What's happening with performances? Well, I'm not performing much now, or if at all. So, but for the, you mean performances for the students? No, for you. I'm not doing ECO anymore. Okay. But you, were, so, you were in the ECO for, for many, many years, weren't you? I think my first date was 1976. Then it was, I was skiing in um, Scotland and this phone call came through. And I remember I was with my brother and father. And I said, oh, it'd be so exciting if it's in the QEH, the Queen Elizabeth Hall because that's the only hall in London I haven't played in yet. I was so um, you know, young and naive then. And blow me, it was in there. And I can't actually remember. It was, I think it was McCarrots who was conducting. It was a huge programme with a lot of Stravinsky. I mean, I had no clue what I was doing, but it was amazing. Um, and I, so anyway, <clears throat> that was a long time ago. And then, yes, I went in and out a bit, and then I became a, 
a member of the orchestra. And I suppose I probably stopped about two years ago. I'm doing half. So I've had an amazing time with them, yeah. um, traveling all over the world, working with the most amazing musicians and, and in such a supportive orchestra too. And um, an orchestra that you could take risks in, musical risks. And, you know, you're always trying and growing, hopefully. Lovely bunch of people. So I couldn't really ask for more on that front. It was amazing. That's wonderful. So that's, and, and it helps you, you know, when you're working in such a creative industry, it, it helps you be creative. We're, we're, often, we're often asked about what our inspiration is, especially on the podcast, get lots of questions. And I'm always talking about my golfing and my gardening and my cooking. Um, I haven't talked about my eating yet because I love, of course, eating what I've cooked. But all those things help me get creative. What's, what's it, what's, what, what is it for you? What gets you creative? Um, well, gardening. I've always enjoyed doing that for a long time. There And the, where we are now, we've been here for six years. The garden was a nothing thing. So every year it's like, okay, so we've got that bit now, we've had a bit more here. Come on, plant, hurry up and grow a bit and hide the fence. So I really enjoy that. That's a, that's a, that's, I'm, you're in another world there. I love it. Uh, walking's great. We've got beautiful country here. Um, and as you know, we had an alpaca farm for 15 years. So that was my, I sort of had two careers really. I was a professional flute player and, and um, teaching and everything. And then also pretty well full-time as, not far off full-time as a farmer really in, in the bay. Look, we had 140 animals at one point. It was completely ridiculous. And, they were gorgeous. Um, as you know, yeah, they were gorgeous. And it led to making clothes and yarn and all that sort of stuff as well. So it was exciting at the time, but it was exhausting. And Mike, over the years, not been quite so able. Um, my husband <clears throat> then, you know, more and more fell on, fell on my off, on my plate really although we had we did have help but it was called organization i would say politely <laughs> to do that never done much cooking but in, in the lockdown i've done a lot actually and i've really enjoyed it because mike always used to cook for him and his full other you know the children i joined in and and but i've done a, i've done a lot i do more than he does now so um i'm really enjoying it actually first time and just getting on with it and trying new things so it's good. And tennis, I've taken that up in the last two or three years. I mean, after a massively long gap, and that's been really good fun. And also having a few tennis coaching lessons, that's really interesting when you're on the other end of the rod, um, just receiving the information and trying to get it all happening all at the same time. It's quite, um, that's very, very good for me. <laughs> yeah, it's very good for all of us. I think all of us yeah. teachers to actually have lessons in, in something Absolutely. else. I, I agree with you. I've certainly found the same thing. So if you hadn't been a musician, what do you think you'd have been doing now? Goodness only knows. I have no idea. I don't, I don't think I would have made a biologist, um, you know, which is what I sort of thought of, about, you know, going, trying to do that at university, but I don't think I would have ever gotten there. So I've, I really don't know. Absolutely no idea. Maybe nothing. I don't know. Who knows? Now, for all yes. our listeners, if they want to go and, and listen to some of your recordings... Where, where would they go and find them? Well, there's probably a few on... Um, to be totally honest, I don't actually know. I've got some... The, I recorded all the Alwyn chamber music on Sanders' label, so that's around. And also the Mozart flute concerto with the Britain Symphonia, who I worked with for about 11 years. So that's around. And also the Mozart flute and harp. I did that with the Britain Symphonia with Lucy Wakefield. And that, that's done well over the years. Um, when you could see sort of odd bits of royalty coming through. So it was very popular on Classic FM. 
So Google is their friend. Yeah, probably. To, to, to find out. Wonderful. Yeah, I'd have to sort of, have, I'd have to look there. And of course, ECI, I mean, I did loads of recordings with them, but it's hard to remember them all, really. You just, you just go, in the days when you used to be doing a lot of sessions and working three, three tier days on a very regular basis, it's all so different now. You, you know, the wind section would be moving from the Thames Chamber Orchestra to the think Academy of Master of the Field, and then you might be the ECO the, the next day. It was incredible with Neil Black and and with William Bennett and you know all, all sorts of Celia Nicklin. Just it was amazing that there was a sort of gang of people that did that. But it's so different now. And recordings now, you have to have the same people there all the time. In those days, you know, you could have. I remember going in for Lenore Smith. Do you remember her? Of course, I do. And um, she was in the Academy of Martins, and you just go, she'd done the first movement of Beethoven six, and I went on second flute or something, and I went in and played the second and third movement or something on second flute. It didn't matter in that, that day, because there were so many recordings being made, but it's not like that now, it's much more fussy. Well, it's, it's been a fabulous career, Kate. Um, you've done so many things, yeah. and, and luckily you're still teaching and giving out wonderful words of wisdom. So thank you ever so much for chatting today. Pleasure. Good luck with, with all the teaching, good luck with all your Zoom calls and your gardening and your tennis. And hope to talk to you again soon. Bye for now. Bye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.